Hey yo, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hot Tag Wrestling Podcast. I am the featured attraction, Brian Dusky. I am the Asiatic purveyor of pain, the fantastic Nikki Fontaine. Ladies, please don't pull on my silk drawers. Woo! <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Um, we have a special announcement. Uh, this is actually pretty unique. Uh, we have a hundredth follower. Our hundredth follower, yes, the 16-time champion himself, Mr. John Cena. We may not be able to see you, but we can feel you. He's a bad, bad man. Yeah, he is. Uh, you know, funny story, actually. Uh, I, uh, I'm in a fantasy football league, and uh, uh, me and a buddy of mine, we're always talking about how we need to do a side bet. And last year we did one, I lost, and it was that uh, the loser had to write a movie review for a really bad movie. And mine was Paul Blart, Marvel Cop 2. Well, anyway, this year he was, he's like, hey, when we do one again, I have our bet written. And I was like, what's the bet? He goes, we need to write a full-length, detailed review of John Cena's rap career. <laughs> I said, so you mean like the one album? He's like, yes, plus like two other songs. He actually just has a song that came out with Mersey. I need to check it out. I, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I looked into it. I'm like, what else has he done? And he, he's done like a, he sprinkled like a few songs here and there. Mm-hmm. And he's had like some songs where he was like featured on tracks and shit. But mostly, yeah, just the one. But I thought that was, I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but uh, yeah, we have a really fun lineup uh, set for today. We have our, our normal three count, which we do, which is our three biggest news stories. Um, we're also going to talk about some social media uh, reactions that have has, happened recently in our social media segment. Uh, we're also going to dive into a little rapid fire. Where we're going to talk about some other news stories that don't have a ton to say about, but we want to address them. And then uh, we're going to actually going to end it with our special segment of the day, which is where me, Mr. Fontaine over here, we are going to talk about our top three rider dies. Um, we will get into detail what that means exactly later on. But for now, we're going to go to our three count. So first of all, um, I want to talk about the Kevin Owens-Shane McMahon announcement of the ladder match. So if you saw this on uh, SmackDown, uh, Kevin Owens and Shane McMahon were in a segment together about this lawsuit that uh, they were doing. And basically, Kevin said he would agree to drop the lawsuit if Shane would agree with the match with him. And Shane did agree, and he said, but I don't want any match. I want a ladder match. And if, so basically, if Kevin was able to grab, grab the briefcase that has their... Um, their uh, lawsuit inside of it, Kevin would not only get his job back, but Shane would have to go away. And then obviously if, um, if Shane wins, Kevin would just go away forever. I-, I was really disappointed because I was hoping for a wrongful termination on a pole match. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, uh, Vince Russo is not here. Hey, Paul and I is still very Russo, if you if you ask me in that, in that fact. The fact that we're, you know, doing a job hanging above the ladder in general kind of screams Russo tactics. But, hey, all in well and good. Honestly, I did not like the whole idea of the whole lawsuit at first because I kind of felt like, you know, this is – it's too, too daytime drama rather than pro wrestling. But now it kind of makes sense with the Kevin Owens character being that kind of shrewd and that kind of a thinker is like, I want to hurt you, like you said, in, in your pockets and your pride and then drag him all the way to the conclusion, like, why don't we have a match? Uh, I think the obvious turn of this is – this is probably a fight – Finding a way to write Shane off of TV, whether it be temporarily or altogether good. Uh, obviously, I think the future is more in Kevin Owens right now, more so than uh, Shane is the best in the world. But still, I think this will hopefully be the you know, obvious big blow off, especially with the, the the debut on Fox being this coming Friday, and they're trying to you know kick it off with a bang. So obviously, you can look for Shane falling off falling off of that ladder onto something or some sort of big huge spot involving Shane nearly killing himself. But 
what do you think? So I like so that was the thing about this segment was that so when they did that, I was a fan of it because one, I, I mean, I love ladder matches. So anytime you can bring that into it, it's always fun for me. Um, and I like I would love to see KO in a ladder match because KO is just like a version of Shane where he just puts him through some of the craziest stuff. That I like, he always takes those big bumps, and I love that about him. But I've always thought he was like a like a more athletic Vader. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but the other thing I was gonna say was that that's what was weird about this was they cut this whole this whole promo, and they they talked about the ladder match, they talked about what was gonna happen, but they never mentioned that it was gonna be on that SmackDown. But then like the announce team mentions it's gonna be on SmackDown, and be like. Did they forget to mention that in the promo? Because I feel like that's a pretty valuable piece of information. Because after watching the promo, I just assumed it was going to be at Hell in a Cell. Right. And I was like, ooh, another gimmick match that's not Hell in a Cell. That's kind of interesting, whatever. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought that was kind of weird. But I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be good. Um, I'm curious how they approach it. Because, um, you know, Shane going away. I mean, is he, is he, they going to just do one of those things where he, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going away, and then he just pulls the Triple H and comes back a month later? <laughs> I mean, we might not completely get rid of Shane, even if it is for a few weeks, but I think with the fresh start on Fox uh, for any of the transitioning fans, I think they want to kick this off with a big bang, yeah. and I think you know, finding a way of, of epic proportion to write Shane off TV and sending those fans home happy after that storyline, this whole heel turn of Shane McMahon after the whole Saudi Arabia best in the world tournament, uh, all the way leading to this now, I think that this is the best way to conclude that story. I, th- I mean, hopefully we're done. I don't think that there's any more story to tell with him being the quote-unquote best in the world, but uh, I'm actually excited for it because, like you said, I think both Kevin Owens and, and Shane McMahon are, have that idea of what it's like to put on the big match with the big spots. I loved their match at Hell in a Cell last year, uh, which is it's funny that this this feud actually kind of took a break and they picked it back up with the roles reversed around yeah. to it, whatever. And it's weird how those elements have kind of changed and no one really addresses that. that they've been kind of feuding for the better part of the last year and a half. So Yeah, yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, so yeah, we're going to move on to our number two, um, and we're going to actually talk about uh, Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan, Luke Harper, Eric Rowan. This whole story that's going on. So um, for those of you who had watched um, SmackDown, you might have saw that uh, uh, Roman was going up uh, against those two, and Daniel Bryan decided to help him out. Um, and he was very, he was actually very furious and very passionate in his willingness to help him out. And then later on, it was announced that for Hell in a Cell, we are going to have a tag match of Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan versus Eric Rowan and Luke Harper. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun match. It sounds more like a Raw or SmackDown match to me, but it's fine. Uh, I think it'll be fun. Uh, it's good to have those kind of little breaks of just kind of like mediocre matches in a show. It's fine. Um, but the question here really is, are we, are we getting this Daniel Bryan turn? I mean, is it happening sooner? Is it happening later? What do you think? Well, here's the thing. I love the new Daniel Bryan, and I, I think, I, I mean, I, in my opinion, I think Daniel Bryan's the MVP of WWE right now. Uh, as far as being able to execute whatever they need done, he's been the top babyface in that company, obviously the most over person probably in the last 10 years, uh, aside from maybe Punk uh, during his, his hey area. Yeah. Uh, but even be able to turn that around and be one of the best heels in the company and in turn put over people like Ali, Kofi Kingston, Buddy Murphy, he's done a lot of his best work right now. Uh, so I, don't th- I think there's still a lot of life left in that heel run. Uh, because what, are we going to just go ahead and revert right back to the yes movement? They kind of teased it. I don't know if any of you noticed. He didn't full-on go into the yes chance. He didn't point up. He kind of raised his hands yeah. to his side, and he wouldn't do a full-on yes chant. And I, like I said, I don't think that 
the kind of performer that Daniel Bryan, I think, appears to be. Obviously, I don't know the man personally, but I think he's enjoying this whole new chapter after being the yes man, even during his brief retirement, still kind of leaning on that gimmick. I think he's had a lot of fun with this heel version of himself, so I don't necessarily know how to take it. Is this going to be the whole classic WWE booking where they all three turn on him? Uh, with that, kind of becomes the problem with what happens with Rowan and Harper. They become just you know drones in the back who don't speak anymore or do they kind of do a thing like they do with the shield and the new day where they elevate all three guys and there are no there's no leader we're all equals i would love to see those two have you know still have those times to have my time because eric Owen has shown to be himself to be a great promo in these last few weeks yeah i, I think harper has a lot of potential as a single star on his own i loved his run as the you know during that time where he's intercontinental champion he was feuding with the uh, like uh Dean Ambrose and Dolph and uh, Dolph Ziggler and everybody. I think both of those guys can do well on their own or together, but I don't think they necessarily need a spokesperson. Uh, but at the same time, Daniel Bryan could bring those guys up if he if it is in turn that he is the mastermind and they do treat them all like equals. What do you think? Yeah, I think they and I think they have really uh, interesting potential because I, I don't know if those of you who are hardcore fans or not remember this, but uh, there was a inside joke between the WD locker room going down about a. Oh, God, what was that, about a year ago? Um, maybe probably longer than that. But an inside joke with, with Luke Harper, because Luke Harper, in every single one of his matches, after he hits a clothesline or something, he'll just turn the crowd and go, yeah. <laughs> and so he would get a shirt where it was Luke Harker, Harper running his hands through his hair, and it would just go, yeah, 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 <laughs> all across. Kind of like, um, kind of like the, the classic killing joke. Uh, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, with the hands and the hair. And yeah, the hot, yeah. So uh, his that was so I would be like, are we gonna have the yeah movement? <laughs> so, but no, uh, no. I think I think I'm I'm hopefully he does turn. I think that's just better for storyline reasons because I mean in reality, if you really look at this, like it makes no sense why he would be that upset with Eric Rowan for doing this because he's feuding with this dude and then uh, Eric Rowan takes him out. Mm-hmm. By extreme circumstances, albeit, but he takes him out, and they'd be like, "How dare you?" Because <laughs> he's he's maintained that he still wants to be Eric Rowan's friend, and like I said, he, he hasn't really made any necessary baby first turns or anything like that. He just feels disrespected. Yeah. So I, I at this point, I don't necessarily know where it falls in line with this whole story. I would love to see Daniel stay healed. Like I said, I think there's a lot more life in that. Uh, but like I said, as as long as we don't get. You know, silent mute Eric Harper. We don't need Wyatt family two point three point oh is what yeah. I'm saying. What was and going back to that, like it was just that I look at the, the 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 character inspiration for all this, and it's like okay, Daniel Bryan is just like I have no because he would in reality be totally fine with him attacking the guy he's feeling. Absolutely. With. But he's like, it's not that you did it, it's that you lied to me. He doesn't like liars. <laughs> I, was just like, I was like, this is like that NFL owner who's like, I don't care if the player rapes somebody, it's the fact that he didn't tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's dark, but true. <laughs> so, okay, uh, moving on to our third uh, point, we're going to talk about Matt Riddle. Uh, Matt Riddle became the number one contender for Adam Cole, baby! Woo! For his um, his uh, NXT Championship, uh, just by coincidence, that it's going to happen on the same night the AEW show premieres. But it's not like they're like in a war or anything. Oh, you know? no. There's, there's no, nothing. no, no. Because that, that, that's not a real thing. But it's just, you know, coincidence that this happened. Let's be honest. Next week is pretty much booked like a takeover, which I have no problem with. This, yeah. is, this is exactly what I think the fans want. We have a night, like I said, whether you, whatever you, despite what you might think about WWE's main roster, NXT is fantastic. Yeah. For those of you who are just kind of getting accustomed to it, if you're just 
be able to watch on the USA Network, or if you maybe just kind of get into the net, into the uh, WWE Network and kind of you know digging into those things. Uh-huh. Every takeover is amazing. They have yet to put on a bad takeover, and they the, put oh, they put oh, there's some have been better than others, obviously. Yes. And but, I I think that it's not as good as it used to be, like as far as the NXT Weekly Show goes. Yeah. But that being said, it's still pretty damn good. And t- every takeover is better than every WWE pay-per-view. I-, I honestly think they have a great roster. Like I said, you have right now you got Matt with the the, the head to head I think main events for next Wednesday as we put on on the on the Twitter page HTW Pod. Uh, you got Matt Riddle versus uh, versus Adam Cole next week, and the main event on the other side in AEW's Dynamite. You got Cody. Uh, you got uh, Kenny Omega with the Young Bucks teaming up against Chris Jericho and two mystery partners, which I think are. I think people are thinking it's LAX, unless there's going to be somebody different, but they did a debut at Double or Nothing this past... uh, Yeah, that's what I was wondering, too. That's where my mind first jumped to, was that it would be LAX. Uh, The only other thing I could think of was, I mean, maybe they're literally going to pull something off and bring in a new team. What if if the Revival pulls, like, a Lex Luger just shows up on AEW Dynamite? (laughs) They actually have to be in the match and not just watch with their hands on their hips while they're wearing, like, some weird Austin Powers top, you know? But yeah, nineties. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, I'm I'm interested in in. Uh, I think Riddle versus Cole is going to be a hell of a match. Um, Riddle has looked nothing but fantastic. Um, I think I'll just give my prediction now. I think Riddle's going to win. I don't want him to win. I want Cole to win um, because I want him to have a better reign. Um, but I think they're going again for reasons of pulling audience members over. I think they're going to try and do that so that. To compete in a sense, I hear you. Uh, I still kind of see Adam Cole kind of pulling out. I think I don't think the end of the Golden Prophecy is coming quite yet. My prediction on all that because I honestly see everybody losing their title on the same night. So I think at some point during the takeover, you'll see all the, that's when the, uh, the Undisputed Era will leave. But I don't think we're quite at the end of the Golden Prophecy quite yet. But I, too, am a huge fan of Matt Riddle. I love everything that they've done with him so far. Um, I, I even love his, his antics online on Twitter. Oh, it's Funny, so good. At Goldberg and Jericho and everybody. Because like, he does exactly what any top guy is supposed to be doing. You get people talking. Have, uh, <laughs> have you seen the video of Adam Cole losing his mind at Pat McAfee? Oh, my God. It is my favorite thing that has ever happened. I want Pat McAfee and Adam Cole to actually have a match. The whole show, I want, I need a shirt that says, shut up, Pat. <laughs> and I don't know if I said to you, I said, it needs to happen. He needs to be uh, known as uh, Patty Ice. And his finishing move needs to be the punt. <laughs> I think I I love it. Like I said, I think Adam Cole is definitely one of my favorites. I I think him and Gargano did an amazing thing this yeah. last year. One of my favorite things about watching Gargano and Adam Cole mix it up is just like watching heel Shawn Michaels versus babyface Shawn Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's and it, honestly, I've been so sold on Cole. Um, I was not sold on him when he came in, and I and I didn't watch a ton of his stuff before, but I just kind of like I saw some stuff and I saw his look and. It, his name and I'm like that's a generic look it's a generic name I, I just wasn't sold on it and then I, I'd say about two months in is what it took like he is just he cuts one of the better heel promos in WWE right now like he's so smug and he's so like focused oh yeah like he's not just this rambling heel who just says a bunch of wild shit to, just to get people to boo him yeah, exactly he's so convinced 
and his, his the presentation of his entrance is so perfect. Like I, I think he's fantastic. That's why I find it funny that uh, I don't know who was Alvarez and said that NXT had no stars. Adam Cole was recognizable from day one when he walked into that building. Uh, I mean, like I said, I mean, I mean that's the kind of the savviness of that NXT crowd because they're the same. Well, and people. that's a that's a garbage take overall because I, I agree that maybe. NXT stars weren't as huge as they were when there was like Finn Balor and Nakamura, like all those guys were there. But I mean, Velveteen Dream's huge. I, I mean, there, there's 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 so many guys there that are, oh, yeah, that are absolutely huge right now. Like, like said, yeah, Velveteen Dream, Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there. I mean, hell, you can even go into into and man, not to leave the women out. But there's Shayna Baszler. I think is probably one of the best heels that that, that yeah. Can, can I agree. Be. I think that she's amazing. I mean, I I love everything. Rhea Ripley. I mean, I know she's NXT UK, but like I said there's she's NXT now though. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're floating bucket back and forth. But yeah, that, there's there's so much potential with that roster. Even with can't yeah, I mean, obviously I think Bianca Belair and all those people are still very green, and yeah, there's still a lot of potential. But that's the great thing about NXT is you're gonna always constantly see it evolve, which is gonna be the kind of the counterpoint with AEW at some point. I know. Eventually, yes, this is going to be more of a static thing since they're going to have, you know, they're trying to have a counter program. Uh, it's going to be a counter program. They're, they know they're going up head to head every night. Yeah. So you're going to want some sort of NXT faithful. I know there's not, they're trying to, in, a lot of the guys in NXT don't want the, the idea of the call up anymore. Some of them want to stay. Gargano has made it very clear that he wants to stay. I don't know exactly where Velveteen Dream is landing at that with that days these days. I think he he before said that he was good. <laughs> I mean, at one point I know he was wearing Tyson said call up, but I don't know how he feels about that right now. But I think well, the, I think they've seen how they've been treated and they're like hard pass. And, and like I said, and, and and who knows? But but I think they said we're in a, we're in a in a renaissance period. WWE is being forced to you know kind of change things up because the presence of this new company. I mean, you got Paul Heyman who's been like I said say what you want, but Raw has been in. In noticeably better, yeah. I mean, on on an incline, it didn't start off immediately, but there's been more consistency in the storylines. We've had, you know, I said we've had a lot better presentation when it comes to like we're, we don't have the constant, uh, we don't do the commercial break thing anymore. I don't know if that was Thank per Paul, per Paul or whatever. But we're not, you know, stopping action in the ring anymore. I think it's, I think right now everybody who is involved creatively behind the scenes and and and, and in front of the camera in, in, in WWE has all the incentive work to step it up because they realize they're not the only game in town anymore. Yeah, and I, and I don't know if you had saw, you probably did, but Austin gave credit to that recently. Uh, Stone Cold was in an interview, and he, he said that he thinks Paul is one of the best minds in wrestling, and he's absolutely doing a fantastic job with Say it. what you want about him as a businessman, but Paul, Paul Heyman is hands down one of the most creative minds in wrestling. Well, yeah, and that was and also that, that was you know 20 years ago that he was like that. But, but not even saying that. If, if anybody who was watching SmackDown in 2000, I, mean, I guess that's not, almost 20 years ago, and that's, but they, 15 years, I mean, during that time. Long time ago. Long time ago, obviously. I still think to this day, Paul Hammond is one of the most creative minds. I completely agree. Uh, so where are we at right now? So, yeah. so okay, so now we're going to head over to our, uh, we're going to head over to our social media segment. Um, so this is where we talk about, we did something similar to this last week where we talked about reaction and overreaction. Then we're, gonna just, we're just going to talk about things that social media is buzzing about, things I'm, that we're seeing on social media. So the first thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about, there's a rumor going around. It's very interesting to me. Um, it's a rumor where people are believing that possibly Liv Morgan, of all people, is being paired with The Fiend. Now, I'm going to get into the details of this. Please do, because I don't know anything about it. Yes. So for those of you who do not know about this, there's a, it's kind of a conspiracy theory, and which I usually don't like, but it's interesting. So if you guys remember, the last time we saw Liv Morgan, she had lost to Charlotte Flair. 
And the last thing she said was, Charlotte was right, and when I come back, I'm going to be real. And then she throws down the mic and she leaves, and we haven't seen her since. That was like a month and a half, two months ago. So shortly after that, she did a little Instagram photo where she had cut off some of her hair. And then she started having these cryptic tweets. Recent ones read, you can't see my scars. And a peek inside my mind, you'll cry. And then not only that, but she posted one. There was just a series of numbers. And if you look up the numbers in accordance to the alphabet of what each number represents, it spells out help. So a lot of these, oh, and th this was not, the, that was, there's also one where there's, there's a laugh in the Firefly Funhouse. And a lot of people pulled audio of Liv Morgan uh, laughing in like backstage interviews. And it's very similar to the laugh in that video. Now, of course, all this could be coincidence. Because you can pull, that's the thing about conspiracy theories. You can pull anything from anything and you can make people believe if you ignore the right facts. So this could all be conspiracy. But let's just say for a second uh, that it does happen. Would this be a good idea? Would this be a bad idea? What do you think? If anyone who could pull it off right now, I think Liv Morgan is the perfect person, I guess, to pair with Bray Wyatt. Because it's rare that they're able to actually pull it off, I think, when you have a character... Uh, like Bray Wyatt, where you can put him, you know, give that energy to anyone else. Uh, I mean, much like, you know, an Undertaker to the Kane thing like that. But I think with Liv Morgan, I think she has that same kind of edge that they brought to her when she came out of the Riot Squad, where you kind of see the kind of break in the character, the kind of craziness, where you would almost buy that she could in some way fa fall in with Bray Wyatt. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, if she pops up on Raw or SmackDown in a, her own version of the Fiend mask, I'd be for it. Uh, I, I mean, I'm very interested. I mean, I, I'm more for seeing them do different gimmicks with with, re, with women wrestlers and taking more chances. And I don't think you can point to a whole lot of times they've been able to pull off somebody who kind of pulls out that same kind of mystique. I'm okay with it. Like, uh, my only issue with it is, again, we kind of talked about this with the Fiend before and other instances of his character. I think it just might be a little too soon. Uh, but here's the also thing: could you not imagine her bouncing around the, in the Firefly Funhouse? No, I can see it. Like, I can it, actually it imagine her just kind of be, them both playing host and being that whole hokey thing. I think it plays well into her character. So I think, from a character standpoint, it makes complete sense. But I just think I'd rather see this a few months into his character as opposed to like where we're at right now. I like to see him on top and established, and then you go almost to like. So we, you know, we talk about how characters need to evolve, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like this should be like the second evolution of the fiend, as opposed to like the initial top moment. What I can see this as, and this is, I think this would be interesting, is almost like um, CM Punk's version of the Straight Edge Society, where he's helping people, mm -hmm. he's rescuing people from their old selves, and that's why these they're turning to this. I could, I could, I can honestly see that. Like I said, I think she, like I said, like I said, given more time. Obviously, she hasn't been on TV yet, so we don't know exactly where she's going from at this point. So all this is a conjecture up, up until now. But I, if anybody they could pair with Bray, who I could see kind of matching, think who can match his crazy, especially coming from the female side of the division, I would definitely say Liv Morgan. I think she could use that push and something to set her aside from the character that she's been with the Riot Squad uh, up to this point and kind of freshen her up. Yeah, so... Uh not a lot of AEW news this week, but one little interesting thing happened. So a fan had mocked um, Nyla Rose for being transgender. Um, I'm not going to repeat the comment, but he had mocked her for being transgender. She responded with, on Twitter, What's wrong, baby? Mommy notch hug you enough? Did daddy mouth touch you in the no-no place? So yeah, little intense. 
Um, now, she later um, deleted the tweet and apologized, stated that she usually takes the higher ground on these type of situations, but sometimes people don't realize that there's another person on the other side of the screen, and because of that, her emotions kind of got the better of her, and she responded in a way that she did not consider favorable. Um, what, was your, what, was just, what was your reaction to this? You know, I'm always saying that people need to really remember that wrestlers are people, and I think that's something that, that goes in with all celebrity culture, how we kind of forget because of that, uh, I don't know, if that, the, the, the curtain, the people behind the curtain, we treat them like the characters we see on TV, and like you would think in the end of people always saying that kayfabe is now dead, but at the same time still not being able to separate that. We still kind of live in that, in that scene. Nyla Rose is a human being. Uh, now, what she said, obviously she felt some sort of way that she felt the need to delete it, but I think it was a human reaction that it was a knee-jerk thing. And I think if it, if let he who has never posted something online a little bit cringeworthy and then later regretted it, cast the first stone. All of us are a little bit guilty. So if she felt that it, it fell out of line of her own characters, her own beliefs, that she may been a little bit insensitive to maybe not necessarily that person's experience or anybody else's experience who might have gone through something like that, albeit mouth, bad mouth touches from daddy. I mean, whatever she was implying. Uh, but... She's human. I think we, I mean, in today's cancel culture, we're always kind of quick to jump on people. So hopefully this doesn't get spun out of control, you know, for too long. I'm kind of looking as, man, I know we're not doing the whole overreaction, underreaction thing, but I think this is going to be hopefully forgotten and we can move past it. Yeah, I think it will. Um, I I don't blame her for responding the way that she did. Um, obviously, it's not the most mature thing to do. But they're people, and they're allowed to be flawed. I mean, like, yeah, say, like I agree. You, you can't you can't just feel just oh, just because this person's a celebrity, I can say whatever the hell I yeah. want to them, and then when they snap back on you, uh, try to you know laugh, feel like you're the victim. Now, no, you're not a victim. You just got. You just got a taste of your own medicine. And I think people don't really like that nowadays. So what I, what I go back to on this is a story about Jackie Robinson. And first I'll say I think a lot of people, and this frustrates me in media. I'm a big sports guy, and I watch like a lot of sports debate shows. And I always see like these analysts, and they criticize an athlete anytime they ever fire back at somebody. And they're like, you're a professional. You shouldn't be fi- firing back at us. What do you care what we think? And we're like, well, if you're going to say something about somebody, you also should be comfortable with them firing back at you. How this ties to Jackie Robinson is um, when Jackie Robinson first came into baseball, um, he was signed, and they said that we'll sign you on one condition, and that's that you're going to deal with a lot of racism. You're going to deal with a lot of stuff. And he goes, you need to be able to take it. You need to be able to put your head down and continue. And he said, yes, I can do that. And he did that for a long time. Uh, He dealt with racial slurs. He dealt with hate from teammates. And the public, obviously, you know, has a positive view on him and they ultimately turned on him because eventually he had enough after several years he had enough and he started back snapping at people who would say racially insensitive things to him and all of a sudden the public was just like oh he can't take it he's not strong enough and like all this stuff i'm like you can't say that stuff to somebody and then get upset when they respond back and it's and it's and it's uh it's amazing to me i mean we i don't know if we've ever talked about this but uh there's a double standard, I think, and I think a revisionist history when it comes to stuff like this is we talk about how great people like Martin Luther King were, and like they obviously were, but if you look at the actual reaction to how people responded in the time of Martin oh, yeah. Luther King, it's not accurate to where it was. 
Um, and I think a lot of that comes in with where people feel like they can just say anything, but then when people have a negative response, they'll be like, oh my God, they need to mature themselves. Oh, it's, 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 like you say, revisionist history. People always like to glorify you in the past tense, but during the time, like I said, I think another uh, classic point, Muhammad Ali. I was just going to go there. Muhammad Ali, like I said, especially during this time, I mean, look at the climate of things that we live in today. And you, I think if anybody knows anything about Muhammad Ali, you know exactly where he would stand on most things that were, were causes divide in culture and politics right now. Yeah. Uh, during a very unpopular time when it, uh, Ali just refused to go to the middle, into, into war, yeah. and he took all the backlash for that. And now, like I said, obviously he's still regarded as one of the greatest athletes who ever do it and, 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 and a hero and a role model. But during his time, there are a lot of people now who will spout all the things, all the statistics from Muhammad Ali and how great he was. But had he been alive during his heyday and, and maybe saying something out of what their beliefs were, would not have anything kind to say about him. I.e., look at what they do with Colin Kaepernick. Look what they do with anybody who stands outside of whatever we're supposed to say or like I said, I'm kind of over the whole cancel culture thing. I said, I mean, you can make your own decisions, yeah. but people are, we need to allow pe you know, people with celebrities to be flawed. Now there's a, there's a level of where like, because celebrities are just people, same as wrestlers, just people. And I don't think we need to give them more credence than what they deserve. Cause they, that's what I'm saying. They should be allowed to fuck up because they're just as imperfect as we are. They're just more wealthy and on TV. I had a conversation <laughs> with somebody a few years ago uh, where we were talking about people that we idolize and is in the acting world and the writing world, all that stuff. And, and um, she said something about how like she doesn't idolize and doesn't like to make heroes out of celebrities. And I was just curious. I was like, why is that? She goes, because your heroes will always disappoint you. And I said, that's only if you think they're flawless. Because yeah, you're going to see qualities in your heroes that you don't like. I've It's happened with me. I was like, but I also recognize that they're human beings. I have major flaws. I yeah. think it's a, it's a, and I think people that more along comes in the lines of not being able to look at your own problems, so it's easier to look at someone else's. Oh yeah, completely agree. So uh, to our last social media uh, topic, uh, we're going to talk about Kofi Kingston's WWE title run. Ah oh, yes. Now ringside news, uh, if you can call them that. Um, <laughs> here's the thing, because as I said, I think at our first episode, we, we will never claim to be news. This is entertainment. This is opinion. This is all how we feel about wrestling. I think everybody should join in on the conversation if you're a fan. But Ringside News posted this meme today, and it was all the champions that have been through in the Tuesday night SmackDown Live era, uh, going all the way from Dean Ambrose to uh, you know AJ Styles to Ray, just everyone who's held the title, and it was you know the whole classic you know thank you for being, and then when it came to Kofi Kingston's picture, it said not you, uh, a great champion, as if he's been the only bad champion, or a bad champion during this this Tuesday night SmackDown era. Now, like I said, opinions are fine. Everyone should feel how they feel about things. Uh, and stick by like I said that's the cool thing about wrestling you don't have to like the same thing that I like but to say that Kofi Kingston has been a bad champion out of all, all I guess was it nine champions that we've had in the last three and a half years or so or is ridiculous Kofi has brought nothing but class and has kept that title at the same if not elevated level that AJ and Daniel Bryan have been able to bring it since and this is not, not against gender but during that run 
Uh, most of my, like I said, my problem, I'm not here to knock gender. I think he was just booked terribly into that position. And most wrestlers, whoever I at least hear their interviews when they really talk about the first time they get the title, they always say, maybe I wasn't ready for it. Uh, gender kind of got thrust into the role because, A, he really worked hard to improve his look, and Vince wanted to expand his market in India. So he saw dollar signs. Vince likes big muscles. Vince likes money. Gender uh, did the best he could with it. And that's and that's all anybody can do. Was it a great success over in India? I mean, I haven't seen those numbers, but I don't think I'll, the overall opinion has been good. Has been more positive than good, and I'm not even gonna knock him for that. But for whatever, since that time, I think what the good things about the WWE title is, from AJ Styles to Daniel Bryan to Kofi Kingston, we have had a successful, good, competitive run with the title. Whether or not they've been made event. Always is weird. That's because I mean, I mean, if you pair against the Universal Title, whatever they WWE decides main event, it's always different. But the best thing that I think they've done, each champion has always been a good, consistent worker, a good, consistent in ring champion, and has somebody has been able to carry that title and, and work with it. Now, what you might think about Kofi's reign is up to you, but to call it a bad reign, I think is really ill is is pedestrian. <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I completely agree. So um, I, I was thinking about this because I've been watching the Kofi Rain and I've liked it. I've enjoyed it. I've it hasn't been perfect. It hasn't been what I would have hoped it would have been maybe necessarily, but it's still been good. And so I started thinking about it and I said, okay, but I can see why maybe some people, you know, were unimpressed, I guess. And I, so I started to compare it and I said, what, what was the what was good about it? But what was maybe, what could be improved? So here's the pros for me. One, consistently great matches. Consistently. Kofi's an amazing worker. Amazing matches. So there's that. We also have had a rare, good, solid babyface title run. There's been some good heel runs, but it seems that every time we give the title to a babyface, it's either super short or about two defenses in, we just kind of stop caring. It hasn't hit that point. Now, has the passion behind... Our, our enthusiasm for his run gone down a little bit? Yeah, sure. That happens. It's very hard to keep that up unless you're like a, a, a generational talent. Mm-hmm. You know, only a few guys can really do that. Austin, Rock, um, I would say Cena in like his first run, mm-hmm. like certain guys like that. Um, he's looked strong throughout. And that's what you want from a champion. Here's the thing is so many of these, especially kind of these underdog type wrestlers, they get to a point where it's like they're either losing matches or... They are um, losing or they're winning in cheap ways or stuff like that. Every match he's won, he's won convincingly. And he's not losing in these random one-off matches because, like, a lot of times he'll, they'll just get beat up, beat up, beat up, and then they win the title match. They get, mm-hmm. That happened to Cena line. That's why they, a lot of people turned on him. He There was a streak for a long time where Kofi did not lose since since winning. And so that's that's been totally great. Another thing is diversity of opponents. A lot of times when this happened with Seth is they just pair him up against the same two people and he kind of goes back and forth between them for like how many how many times did he fight Corbin? I mean, it was it was and nobody was buying it. Not only did people buy the matches that he was in, but there was a diversity. You had Samoa Joe, you had Kevin Owens, you had Randy Orton, AJ Styles, yeah. Sami Zayn. He had like he was having great TV matches throughout the entire time as well. So, and so uh, now, hold on, I just want to get to the cons first. Mm-hmm. So now we go we go into the cons. So a lot of these cons, you will see there is a consistency in them, and none of them has to do with what Kofi's 
quality of a championship run. It has to do with the creative behind it. So, first of all, a lot of the feuds he did have had a lack of storytelling. They were just kind of feuds. They were feuding for feuding reasons. Now, there are some exceptions to that, like the Randy Orton one, but I will say that they kind of dropped the ball in the Randy Orton one because the first half of it was super intense and I loved it, but then they kind of had the no finish and it kind of deflated it a little bit for their second match. So that takes it down, but still, again, not his fault. Um, very rarely was he in the main event. Now, but I will argue that his matches were worthy of the main Wait event. Doesn't mean he wasn't in the main event because CM Punk, same thing. When he had his big reign, he had a lot of matches that were worthy of the main event, like his match with Daniel Bryan. But they weren't in him because it was whoever Cena was facing. A lot of times they're doing that with here. It's like the Roman Reigns storyline is in is in the main event and not necessarily Kofi's match or the Universal title is in it because Brock Lesnar is involved. And, you know, there's just nothing you can do there. And this is more of a personal thing. He's still dishing out pancakes. Like, I, I get it. It's, it's like his character thing. But to me, it's, it's like when people don't like that John Cena smiles so much or that Roman Reigns smiles so much when he was a, when he was a, a top guy. Like, I'm, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it, it was kind of like... And here's... I was fine with it for some matches, but when he had his super intense match with Randy and it was personal mm. and he was coming out doing that, I'm like, ah, that's downgrading a little bit for me. I'm like, this is super serious. You shouldn't be doing that in that I, moment. I, 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 get, I get that. And I will ask that while I agree with you on a little bit in, in that regard, I will play a little bit of devil's advocate here. And okay. this is what I'll say. Aside from the attitude and the ruthless aggression era, I do not think a top baby face is for the male demographic 18 to 34. Like yeah, you can fair. You can like him if you want to, but he's not necessarily geared towards you. Top babyface in the PG era and like just like it was during the Golden Age, Hogan era, is guided toward kids. It's because WWE's business model is to bring in new fans always, create new fans, guide it toward kids. It's like I said, if you as an 18 to 34 can get behind the baby thing, it's just even better. But he's not necessarily for you. The last round that kind of a champion that or down that era was the kind of ruthless aggression when you had like your Batistas and the early days of Cena and thing like that, whatever. And I think that's kind of why Vince might have been a little bit trigger shy on Punk, even though he technically had a great baby face kind of appeal, being that he was drug free. But the idea, I think, of Vince's top baby face in PG WWE isn't really for the 18 to 35 or that older demographic. It's to bring in more kids. So him throwing out pancakes, being smiley and bright, colorful, rainbows and unicorns and positivity that's along the line of the demo, demo that they're shooting for with this younger generation and i and i agree with you there and two things i'll say about that one is that that's true but also i'm still going to criticize it oh yeah i'm not saying it's open to, it's open to criticism but i am what i'm saying is i just don't flip i said it's, it's always going to fall a little flatter with us and the other thing i'll say with that is i'm fine with that and i because i i recognize that for her, most of his 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 title run it was that match specifically that I saw it. Oh, and, and I, like, I agree with you on that. That's what I'm saying. I definitely think that match should have been serious. I think he should have came out, no pancakes. And no they could have made they could have made a statement like, "Oh, like, he's not having fun. He's yes, serious. He's a, locked yeah. in." But I think that may I don't know. May it's just like the whole. May once again, when the scene is criticisms, I guess because people kind of got hustle loyalty, respect became the whole new pray, say your prayers and take your vitamins. But at the same time, I think it was seen as willingness to stick to it and to never become a heel is what defines Cena's character, which 
like I said, one day I'll get into my appreciation of our 100th follow, Mr. Cena. But I will say <laughs> this, I in, in retrospect, his character is probably the most important babyface in the last 20 years. Oh, I completely agree with that. <laughs> and, but yeah, I ultimately, I weigh those two against the, the cons and the pros of his title run. And I still think he comes out in the plus. I, I still think he's had a great run. There's like, obviously, yeah, there's certain things about it that maybe could have been improved upon. But he's had a better, he's had a better babyface run than Seth has had. I mean, true. And I say, and this is coming yeah. from somebody who's a big diehard Seth fan, but we'll get into that later. And, and I don't, and I don't think it's been as good as AJ's. But again, AJ had it for so long, and he was heel and babyface. And well, he had he had the title as a heel and a babyface. And I would also point this out. And if you want to go back and scroll back into your Twitter feed or your a Facebook feed or whatever it is, to 2017, people were starting to sour on AJ Styles' run toward that end too. It's just what happens when you're top face. Yep, I completely agree with that. Um, so now we're going to get into our rapid fire segment. Uh, this is quick. There's just some quick news stories we want to talk about, but uh, we just want to fire through them. We're just going to say quick 30 seconds each what we thought. First of all, John Morrison has apparently, formerly known as Johnny Mundo, John Henny, you know. Johnny but, Impact. Yeah, a lot of different names. He has apparently signed with WWE. What do you think? The Shaman of Sexy has returned. I am excited about it. I'm, I'm honestly kind of a big fan of John Morrison, uh, but I'm just hoping for they actually have a plan for him because if anybody's kind of kept up with him since he's left WWE, whether he's been Johnny Mundo or Johnny Impact, he's had some success. He had really a good match even against uh, Austin Aries. He became, actually showed that he, he can carry a world title. Now, that does it always trans, translate in Vince's WWE? Not necessarily, but I hope he doesn't come to WWE just to end up getting jobbed out in the end. I would love to see them do something different with what we, what we did not see in his prior run, but I guess that's to be seen. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, this is pretty much the one signing people have been hoping for for like the last year and a half or so. Everyone's like, is, is he ever going to sign? I actually didn't think he would. I didn't think it was going to happen. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that he is. It's going to be exciting. I'm a little bit worried that we're going to have an RVD or we're going to have a Rey Mysterio type situation where he comes back and everyone's like all nostalgic and super cool. But WWE doesn't actually have a plan here. So next we have uh, the new commentators. Uh because of uh, SmackDown moving to Fox, we have they're shaking up the commentating a little bit. They're basically moving the Raw announced team to the SmackDown announced team because now they're basically admitting that this is now the premier show. Um, and so now the Raw team is going to consist of Jerry Lawler, Dio Madden, and Vic Joseph. So Vic Joseph and Dio Madden have both been on 205 Live. Uh, Vic Joseph is an actual Cleveland product, so I'm a little proud of that, being from Cleveland myself. Um, and then, of course, we all know Jerry Lawler. Um, what do you think? Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, like I said, you said it's. I think the writing's on the wall with the fact that they did move the Raw SmackDown Raw commentator team to the SmackDown table uh, and brought in pretty much completely. I would say new because they said obviously these guys have been working on Two Hundred Five Live and they're sitting alongside with Jerry Lawler. I have mixed feelings about that. I mean, I love Jerry, but I definitely think that. Sometimes when you see Jerry on commentary, let's do him on commentary. He doesn't seem as dialed in, or as uh, doesn't seem like he's really up to date on the on the product. Always kind of feels like he's kind of been maybe briefed, maybe what you know as of what's going on. So maybe if he's a little bit invested, I guess. But like I said, I mean, who, who's to see? But I mean, obviously, I mean, I think Jerry has specific chemistry with people. Uh, we talked about this earlier. I think he obviously his best chemistry is going to be with uh, with uh, Jim Ross. 
I'm excited for what's going on with the whole changes to Raw together. So it's fresh voices. We got, I'm thinking, obviously a new set. Uh, We're really more deep into this whole new Paul Heyman era of Raw. So it's exciting time actually in the wrestling for for Monday Night Still. For this, the the Lawler thing, I kind of felt the same at first, but it makes sense because basically if you take Vic Joseph and Dio Madden, 90% of your audience go, who? Um, So you need that recognizable name for Raw. So I'm I'm totally okay with it. I think uh, I'm not. I don't know. I'm not an expert on Dio Madden's history, so I'm, I'm not going to dive into that. I know he's a former NXT guy, um, as far as a performer goes. Um, Vic Joseph, I think, is solid. Uh, I think he's like a slight step above uh, Todd Phillips, like, but I don't think he's like exponentially better. So you know, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Uh, Todd Phillips obviously got the shaft, but uh, you know, we'll see how that works out. So uh, we're going to move on to our final segment of the day, our special segment of the day, where we talk about our top three rider dies. This is a conversation that you and I had uh, a while ago. Um, There's certain wrestlers that once you become a fan of them, you just can't not be a fan of them. I, I think wrestling fans can be fickle sometimes, and if something changes about a said superstar, they're like, nah, screw them. And then they don't even act, they act like they were never a fan of them. Mm-hmm. Now, we have certain people who are like, no, from the get-go, I will stay by their side no matter what. And you got to fight people off saying why they're still great. So we're going to talk about our top three rider dies. So I'm going to start mine off. And I'm going to talk about my number one rider die. And that's John Moxley. Um, so I'll talk about how I first got into John Moxley. Um, so the Shield had debuted in WWE, and I didn't know much about uh, his past but at this point. Um, and I remember tuning in, and I, at first I was mostly behind Seth Rollins, and I thought Moxley was kind of the typical leader, and I was like, all right, it's interesting. I didn't dive too much into him. And then kind of like as time went on, I saw his swagger, and I saw just the way he, he did these weird things in the ring where he would pin people differently, and just he would the way he moved was so different. I'm like, this guy's unique. He's gonna, I was like, I'm going to keep an eye on him when the shield breaks out. So eventually they break up, and I was really getting behind his mic work. I was like, this guy's good on the mic and where he really sold me the moment where i was all in was after he had gone away because seth had curb stomped him into his cinder block so he'd gone away for a few months to go film a movie and then he comes back and the crowd just loses it it's this huge reaction comes out he attacks seth he jumps off like a little kind of presentation piece hits him with an elbow seeing an elbow drop while, while the person is standing is a move that at the time no one had ever seen and i've just kind of stuck by him ever since i've had to defend him after the stone cold podcast debacle which i said i totally understand the type of dude this dude is he is not the type of guy that talks about his personal life he's a little awkward but when you got talk about wrestling with this guy he is very charismatic. He's Because if you watch that interview, the second he ta- Austin brings up wrestling again, he's all in. And he's talking about it. And I, and I love that about a guy. He has his interests. You talk about his interests, he's all in. You talk about anything else, it's kind of awkward. It's kind of like me. So I, I related to the guy in that sense. I, I, I think he's a super like down-to-earth dude. Um, and I've followed his... Same thing happened when, when people were talking about there was a time where like his matches were not as good anymore and his... And his character, and I was saying it's because he's probably disinterested because they're not doing crap with his character. He's just not interesting anymore. And I totally got it. People were calling him like lazy and like all this stuff. I'm like, you try being in a company that doesn't care about you. It's hard to get motivated. And so his whole AEW run, I have loved. I lost it 
when he debuted in AEW. It was so fantastic. I think he's doing such great stuff right now. But that's my number one ride or die. What's yours? Okay, I've had mine in a little bit different order. I said not necessarily from any kind of one to three. But I'm going to start off probably with like my all-time favorite that nobody will ever be able to convince me anyway. Otherwise, he is the greatest of all time. If anybody, If you can see me right now, I'm wearing his T-shirt. He is the headliner. He is the showstopper. He is the main event. He is the heartbreak kid, the icon of this industry, Mr. Shawn Michaels. Uh, now, I say this knowing full well who this man who is, and even who he's admitted to be in his past. Uh, probably one of the more controversial wrestlers for his antics backstage, his involvement with the clique, uh, his rumored refusal to lay down for anybody if he didn't want to. But bar none, and this if you watched WWE Untold this uh, past weekend, which shout out to WWE for doing a special on Kane debuting right after we did one. Uh, <laughs> you know, very inspired idea. Uh, but if you watched that, like Sha- like said, Sean would cut, like, even Taker said, if Sean was on fire, I probably wouldn't piss on him. But if there was anybody I ever wanted to be across the ring from, it was him. He embodied, I think, everything. I think a like. To be one, I think his first that that the '90s run where you go from a I guess his initial heel turn against Janetti in the barbershop all the way to his uh, exit uh, in '97 at WrestleMania four '98 and WrestleMania fourteen when his back was broke and he dropped the title at Austin. He was probably one of the best heels in the industry and the, by far probably the best worker in WWE at that time. Yes, an asshole to deal with, but I think a lot of that came from his passion for the business altogether. So, fast forward uh, to him, like I said, losing the title, uh, kind of getting his life a little bit uh, more on track after you know his battles with drugs and everything, and finding Jesus and whatever you believe in. That's not what I'm here to talk about, but him coming back and to be able to pull off, which even Vince, no one would ever believe the, the one of the best babyface runs or even being a babyface Vince never even saw Shawn Michaels' character as a babyface, but able to pull that off and pretty much put on a masterclass of what it is to sell to where you have guys like right now, you have your Zigglers, you have your uh, like hell, even Seth's Shawn uh, Gargano's and they, like I said, I just said this earlier, watching Johnny Gargano and uh, and Adam Cole wrestle is like watching babyface Shawn Michaels versus heel Shawn Michaels. <laughs> it's amazing. I fucking love it. But like Shawn is always going to be Robert Ryder because I think his passion for the business is always shined outside for better or worse for whatever kind of person you would call him. If anybody gave a damn about what he was doing and showed me every time when he walked between those ropes it was Shawn Michaels yeah I'm not shocked uh, <laughs> I knew that was going to be your, your top one uh, and uh, yeah I, and I completely agree with you I just want to say before I go to my number two uh, I'm totally with you a lot of people knock him for being such a dick back in the day it's probably true but uh, here's the thing and this is actually goes toe to toe with uh, my number two um, is that if he was not that way he would not have been that great like it was part of the reason that he was so good in the ring, I think, and probably part of the reason he was so like had the swagger he did on the mic and like you, you've said this before. It's like people like say when you are good at something, fucking own it, and well, sh- no one owned it like Sean did. Well, not only that, but I mean, and I and I'm not trying to tie this to drugs even, but I mean like Jim Morrison would not have been amazing if he wouldn't have been on drugs. Like so, Shawn Michaels, if he, would he been great if he wasn't this pissed off? Like I deserve everything type of guy. Would he been that dang good? I don't know. Loaded up on pain pills and willing to do whatever the fuck it took to prove he was better than you. Yeah. So um, that goes to my number two, CM Punk. Uh, arguably my favorite wrestler of all time. Uh, 
and I'll, I'll tell you where this started. Um, and I, this goes beyond wrestling. Uh, CM Punk, Phil Brooks, is a guy who I don't just like love as a wrestler. I look up to him as like a man. I relate to him on so many levels, and there's so much stuff he says. And I'm like, damn, I feel that. <laughs> and so this, this started long, long ago, actually, uh, before he came to WWE even. I was, um, I was a fan of him watching old Ring of Honor videos on YouTube, and his promos were fantastic, and I always, was always interested in him. I didn't know a crap ton about him at that time, but I was always interested to see if he'd ever come to WWE. So eventually he did, and I watched his early ECW stuff, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, it was around that time I started college, so I kind of fell out of wrestling for a few years. And I came back in, it was actually after the Summer of Punk, but it was just a little bit after it. So it was still kind of in his height at that time. And I was went back a few months, watched YouTube videos of the Summer of Punk highlights, and I was just like, this is some of the best stuff I've seen in wrestling in like a long time. And when he spoke, it seemed so real. Like his, everyone talks about the promo, the pipe bomb. That, would, of course, was great. But the underrated ones were like the uh, contract negotiation in the ring with Vince McMahon, the one-on-one he had with John Cena where he says that John Cena has become the New York Yankees. Like, there's so many great promos in that time. Like, I, I quote his promos all the time in, like, my everyday life. Um, and so through the years, a lot of people have knocked him down. They wanted to say that he's a dick, which, yeah, probably – but so am I. Like, there's so many times in my life where uh, people was like, you know, you're coming off like a huge asshole. I'm like, coming off like? I am. <laughs> uh, and so it, it, it just, but that's the other thing is a lot of people think he's, a, he's an asshole and he's a dick. But then, like, his best friends are like, oh, he's the nicest, like, most, like, courteous dude. And I was like, that sounds like me. Like, my family and, like, my friends, they're like, you're not an asshole. But then, like, people I just know, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you're a total asshole. So it, it's, it's, I relate to him on so many levels. The bitterness that fuels that man, like again, so relatable that I that I love so much. Like, uh, like I'm a big I'm a big football fan, and I'm a, my favorite player is Baker Mayfield. And I always say Baker Mayfield is CM Punk of football, and that's that he performs best when everyone is against him. He performs best when like the lights are the brightest, and they say we don't believe you can do this, and he's like, okay, watch this. Um, and I, I've always defended him since day one. He's always been my favorite, and he probably will be for the rest of the time. Your arms are too short to box with God. One of the greatest lines I, in wrestling history. I will always. That's what I always think about when I think about CM Punk. Uh, like I said, I can, I can definitely. I, 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 as I said, as you said that you knew Michaels was going to be my, one of mine. I knew Punk was going to be on yours, so I was kind of waiting for that. So I've been having a kind of a crisis of conscience here because, like I said, I came into this with a mind, two, two minds of who I wanted to include with this list, and I struggle with even right now as we're speaking because it's. One other person who I kind of want to, and he might just end up being an honorable mention, so I'll go ahead and say it out later. Yeah, but we, for now, we, we'll do honorable mentions later. So for now, I'm going to go into another direction, and I'm going to go ahead and say Cody, as in Cody Rhodes, as in the son, grandson of a plumber. Uh, God, I, and this is honestly more of a newer one. I'm not going to say newer, but I would say of the last three to four years. And I'm going to say it all comes down to, I can't say one thing, but two things. Balls. Uh, this is a man who had the balls to bet on himself. He could have collected the paycheck and rotted away in the lower to upper mid card of WWE alongside Dolph Ziggler and, you know, uh, fucking uh, hell, even woo 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 Zack Ryder or everybody else and just kind of and lived comfortably and lived happily, honestly, as far as the paycheck is concerned, not, but not happily. And this guy took his walking papers. 
He may say, say what you want. He's taking his pot shots, but I think when you've worked somewhere, he's earned the right to make his criticisms about the WWE. But I think he's been more along the lines has been very gracious in his exit, how he's treated it. Um, he went out there. He put together a list of guys he wanted to work with. He went out there and worked. Uh, his in-ring work is subjective, I think. I mean, a lot of people don't give credit to the guys who are just consistent and know how to, you know, be safe. But we talked about this before. I think no one is telling a better story in wrestling than Cody Rhodes. Cody knows what his strengths are, and I think what, what the biggest thing they say in wrestling, I think one of the teachings of Paul Hammonds is, is to play to your strengths, to hide your weaknesses. And if Cody's work rate isn't up there with your guys like your Kenny Omegas and your Will Ospreys or whoever you, you know who you, you go to, Cody makes up for it in spades with the stories he can tell. Uh, whether that be what from if you were going back to the, the early days of his exodus from WWE with the uh, things he, he was able to put on uh, with the Bullet Club and the infiltration and the civil war that he developed in the Bullet Club and his story with uh, with Kenny Omega and uh, and everything he was able to do there coming all the way now to coming into the AEW time and what he's able to pull off the match that Vince didn't want him and his brother to do, uh, him versus Dustin Rhodes, uh, to what he's even going into this Jericho feud. If you, I don't know if you guys saw the Road to AEW video they just put up together and he addressed Jericho and everything. No one knows how to sell a match. No one is, I, don't, I, I, I honestly might, and so someone proves me wrong, Cody might be the best promo guy or best best storyteller in wrestling right now and i honestly think for better or worse you can argue or not you think he's a top guy this guy went out there bet on himself put together a show ten, sold out him and several others i know it wasn't just him who did it but sold ten thousand seats sold out an arena won the same title his dad made famous the nwa title and made me care and i'm going to be very honest i love i'm a diehard wrestling fan i have not cared about the nwa title Probably in a very long time, if ever, because it was honestly after my, you know, before my time, Cody got me invested in that story, and that's exactly what he knows how to do. So I'm, like I say, I know a lot of people they might disagree with some of the things he might say, and I know there's some some business dealings with AEW, especially with the ITV thing going on right now, and people kind of want to be able to, you know, poke fun or judge him for what he's doing, or maybe they think he's bitter about his WWE run. I think that he, even I'll even say this: when he was doing Stardust, knowing that he was hating it. I thought that was some of the greatest stuff he was doing. Now, even though he, I know he hated, he might even hate hearing that, but he was so committed to it, it was hilarious. And I think that's one, and that's a testament to the man. Like you, he, he took what was given to him. He didn't like it, but he did it. And when it was time for him to make his own decision, he took, he took with his ball. And he went somewhere else, and he made something of it. And right now, we're. We're now in a, in a boom period of wrestling. We're, we're now having a new, what we're calling the Wednesday Night War. And a big integral part about that, and when you go down to history, will be the day that Cody Rhodes walked out of WWE. Yeah, I'm, that's a great choice. That was not one I was expecting, but that is a fantastic choice, and I agree with everything you said about him. Uh, so my number three um, was very difficult, because when I made this list, my first two, uh, CM Punk and John Moxley, I mean, those were just the first two I thought of immediately in my head. And it's not that my third one is not a good choice. It's that there, my third one was like, man, there, I had like so many rotating in there. And so I thought about what makes this list and what is the most important thing. And this is not a list of my top three favorites necessarily. Um, this person would probably still be my top five. Um, but they make my top three as far as how long I've been behind this person. And that is Velveteen Dream. 
I love Velveteen Dream so much. And I've been a fan of Velveteen Dream before he was Velveteen Dream. I watched Tough Enough. And I remember the second I saw Patrick Clark. And I said, that dude is the future. Like, I heard him talk. I saw him move. Like, just, he had a, he was dudes, he just had a, he had that it factor about him. And I was just watching him. I'm like, this dude is going to be something someday. I don't know what, what, what character would fit him the best. I don't know how you promote him exactly. I said, but there's just something about this dude that just like, he screams Mr. WWE to me. And so I've, I've been behind him since day one. And so when I saw that he still got signed by WWE, despite not winning, I was very happy. Um, and then I saw he kind of made a few, few kind of appearances in NXT as just Patrick Clark. And I was like, all right, it'll take a while to get him integrated. And normally a guy with, who goes through tough enough before they really do anything with WWE, it's a few years. He made it within like six to nine months. Like I remember he debuted his Velveteen Dream and I was upset because I saw that and I'm like, ah, I was like, he's good at it. There's no doubt this is good. I was like, but I just, I had this cringy feeling that I'm like, man, he's going to become Adam Rose or he's going to become a jobber because a, a lot of times in the when they get the, like a, like a straight up character character where it's not, where it's like almost cartoonish in a sense, they just eventually Vince sees him as just that. And they just eventually job it out. They might start off strong, but they eventually just job out to people because you don't evolve. He has evolved that character so much in just NXT. He's like, I don't even see him as that like Prince knockoff anymore. Like I see him as just its own thing. Like it's beyond that. Like coming out in the Hulk Hollywood Hogan tights and everything like Every match that I watch of his is like, if not the best match of the night, it's one of, definitely. And his Dream Valley Driver, I, I'm almost upset sometimes that it's not his finisher because it's beautiful. Like, it is literally, like, when I, I remember the first time I saw it, I jumped out of my couch and I yelled, That's a Death Valley Driver! <laughs> because... I've, we've been seeing what Cena does with it over the many years, and it took me back to the days of Perry Saturn and like all these great de Death Valley drivers. One of my all-time favorite moves, and I love seeing it. And he has a great elbow drop, and he's always introducing these amazing moves every single match. But it's also he's not doing it in the sense where he's like introducing too much, as some guys do sometimes. But he's he's establishing his moves so well. He establishes his character so well. His feud with Aleister Black was phenomenal, where he made him say his name. And it, it was it was so so perfect. Uh, there, there's so much so much stuff like so much. His mic work is incredible, and I, and I can't wait to see him evolve as he goes along. Uh, the only hesitation I had putting him in this list is because we haven't hit that point really necessarily where people have doubted him or people have trash talked him because everyone loves him at this point. He's incredible. Um, I worry about what they're going to do with him on the main roster, but I, I put him on my rider dies because I've been behind him for so long. And I just, I just love him, and I cannot wait to see what the future has for him. He's 24. I'm just going to – I had to throw that one, one, out there one more time. And honestly, like I said I did definitely uh, – just get the Aleister Black feud I thought was genius. And like I said, a lot of people always harp when people take losses, and I think that he did more with that loss and that, and that story than I think anybody else can do. Same thing with his, his whole thing with, uh, with Ricochet. I love that story that they were able to tell, and that's the, the, the I think the mark of a good performer is if you can still keep yourself 
you know, elevated, even whether you take the pin or not. Before you go on to your final, I just want to say one quick thing, and that's the, that's the amazing thing, is he had a streak where he lost like three to four straight feuds and still stayed incredibly relevant, and that's incredible. Uh, now, I'm going to get, like I said, this third one I'm picking strictly because, as the street prophets say, I want the smoke. Um, I this is going to be, I guess, called controversial in that sense. I know where you're going, but I'm going to go right there for it because it seems to be the popular thing nowadays to hate on Seth Rollins. <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to say I fucking love Seth Rollins. I didn't always love Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins had to worm his way into my heart, but he fucking did. And if you're out there listening, Kobe, I'm behind you. Let me start off by saying, and it's kind of funny because it kind of brings it all full circle because you started off talking about Moxley and how you started off more of a fan of Rollins than you were of Ambrose. I was the exact opposite. I was way more of a, impressed with Ambrose because I think his, his mic work, his look, and I knew about him a little earlier because there was like rumblings about him and some sort of feud with Mick Foley yeah. uh, online. I never knew who he was and didn't see anything about him, but I remember them talking about Dean Ambrose. So when he popped up as an, an, that name in the shield he was the one I actually did know about so time goes on the shield and you got Dean and he's like obviously as he put it I'm the asshole of the group he really wanted to stand out because he thought he was going to be the first the one to break out as the heel uh, anybody who with eyes can see they kind of had plans for Roman he is Vince McMahon's wet dream he is a silk wet you know dripping big Samoan I mean, Vince heard that right now. He's probably, you know, semi-erect. But Seth, honestly, was the more underwhelming person in the Shield to me. Obviously a great worker, but I kind of felt like he was more lost in the shuffle in between those two when I first was introduced to him. Uh, That didn't really change to me until their eventual face turn. Uh, when they had their like a few months against the Wyatts and eventually the Evolution, where around the time same Daniel Bryan was having the best baby had the base best baby face come back in the business, Seth might have been number two or one point oh uh, right under him because coming off that hot tag, shout out to the, uh, the, the podcast. Uh, but come off the hot tag, Seth was one of the hottest person, the best baby face comebacks. If you go back and watch the Shield versus the Wyatts at Elimination Chamber. Prove me wrong. Seth is amazing. Is amazing babyface. So since that moment, I thought, okay, I thought I had everyone figured out. Uh, obviously, Roman's the golden boy. Dean's gonna be the biggest heel coming out of this, and Seth might fall somewhere in the mid card as a good, solid hand as a babyface. Boy, was I wrong. The day the Shield imploded and Seth turned heel, who if you te- let him tell it, he had never worked heel before. And he wasn't a big talker because coming from the indies, your character is mostly, I'm a good wrestler. Uh, so he wasn't great. He had to learn a lot on the job. And let all of you tell it out there now, Seth was so amazing as a heel. He's still amazing, but we'll, we'll keep going on with that. Yes, he took his character and he, like I said, for that entire period, while Brock was the WWE champion, he was the top heel on Raw coming in, you know, being Mr. Money in the bank to his eventual cash-in. But there's also a little side note in there because then I learned a little bit something about Seth as the man during his heel run because we're all living the Twitter age now. And Seth retweeted some Black Lives Matter stuff. So that's when I kind of was like, yep, I like this dude. Uh, so that's when he kind of, that's when he officially, I was like, all right, I'm rocking with Seth. He can come to the barbecue. So 
So now we'll keep going. So Seth has his his first initial run with the WWE title, and unfortunately it ends with him blowing out his knee, and we all mourn because we miss Seth Rollins. When is Seth coming back? When is Seth coming back? And you know he's rehabbing, and during this time, this is when we're kind of they go on with the plans of elevating Roman Reigns. They we don't get the the title match that we wanted because obviously the story was Reigns versus Rollins, but we end up having to shoehorn like Reigns versus Ambrose in a, in a tournament to have the eventual coronation of Roman Reigns. But he was always the champion that was, you know, uh, you know, kind of uncrowned because he never beat the initial guy. So Seth comes back, and what do we all want? Why is he not a babyface? And this is more along the line of the booking, and this is where I think the, the telltale problem with, the only problem I've ever had with Seth Rollins is his booking. And we all wanted him to be a face when he came back. He was a heel. Fine. We did a slow burn. It wasn't even initially planned. I don't think he would have went heel uh, if we didn't lose Finn Balor at SummerSlam. But I think that's why I've earned, I think Seth has always had the had the task of taking what was handed to him because of injury of uh, other people getting injured or plans changing at the last minute. So Finn Balor gets injured, and obviously they end up going different way. And they put the title, uh, the universe title, on on uh, Kevin Owens. And Seth now is kind of shuffling, and they're trying to figure, okay, I guess we're going to turn to you babyface now. And very rocky in the beginning. Very rocky, because like I said, it's still kind of an awkward, because it was not the plan. But eventually, they work through all that. And I have watched this guy take everything, and then, okay, we have no plans for you. We're going to throw you in this tag team with uh we're gonna put the, uh, with uh, with dean again because you know obviously that's what wwe's plans are we don't have no plan we'll put you in tag team so if you tell me that like i said the one of the best things wwe's put together since these last since the era punk has been ended has been the shield and anybody who watched that whole thing between seth and dean when they were fighting and like i don't you know in the whole trying to come back together as friends and partners again after the shield breakup Watch the genuine emotion that comes out of the audience when they finally do the fist bump again and tell me that that was not a moment. He has been consistently a part of some of WD's best moments, whether you call it his cash-in or the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. breakup, uh, the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. reuniting, even though they flubbed it up every time. But he's consistently been a part of consi- great moments. But eventually, Dean gets injured. So uh, we have no idea what we're going to do for you, so we're going to throw you into a tag team with Jason Jordan. Jason Jordan gets injured. Oh, okay, grab. Oh, oh, yeah. WrestleMania is coming around the corner, so we'll throw you in this triple threat for the Intercontinental title. And luckily, this is the time where the Miz is the champion. And Miz was my honorable mention, honestly. Shout out to the Miz. I will get to you another time. You are the man. I fucking love you. I will talk about how much I love you one day. But right now, we're talking about Seth. But they throw him in that triple threat. I'm in the arena for the night. And if anybody tells you that Seth didn't have one of the best, biggest pops that night, they're fucking lying. I was there for it. That opening match of WrestleMania 34 was probably one of the highlights of that show. Not the best Mania overall. One of my favorite Manias because I was there. But a great match nonetheless. And from that time, Seth was putting on classic matches with Miz, uh, fucking Finn, Dolph Ziggler, Mojo Rawley. Anybody who they were throwing him on, he literally became Monday Night Rollins and was carrying that show on his back consistently while the t- while the universal title or the world title of that show was off somewhere else. He was the man on that show. 
and everyone loved it, and everyone was shitting on Roman. Oh, we don't want Roman. We don't want this. The, 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 they, why can't Seth be the top guy? I remember seeing this online. If you people who are listening out there, if you, yes, you were complaining. You wanted Seth to be the top guy, but that comes with the whole point that I'm going to make. Seth carries the show for for months on end as its Intercontinental ch- Champion and keeps that title at a good prestigious place. After the Miz kept it there, great. And then Roman unfortunately goes down with you know the cancer thing, and you know we all know how that turned. But Seth at that point once again has the responsibility of carrying the ball because of unforeseen circumstances. And who else was better for that job? And if anybody else wants to deny the pop of that when he and when he made the whole claim of what do you want? You want that ruthless bastard? He said I'll take out Lesnar. The fans were clamoring for him. To, to be the one to take to take Lesnar on. WWE's booking is wonky. It really is. You can't always blame the performer for the, what's going on with their booking. That being said, I'm going to not go his, through his whole history, but my all I, I go through all that to say this. We got what we wanted, and now we're being finicky about it. You cannot fault Seth for the way he's been booked as the champion. He's been the champion. He's been still. He's the still same guy who puts on the matches he's been in, and he's made the best out of what they've been giving him. Yeah, he said some cringy stuff on on, on Twitter, but the most, the worst of which was the pocket or, or the wallet, whatever. But at the end of the day, what is it about? Checks and championships. That's what they always say now. This is pro wrestling. It's a business, and him poking fun at Osprey, it's doing what all top guys are supposed to do. Getting people talking, getting what we're doing right now, getting people talking. And that is what Seth has done. So, like I said, Seth Rollins, I am a fan. You fucking earned me. You worked me over. If if you're out there listening, I don't give a shit about what any of these people on the internet says. Fuck Adam Wilburn from What Culture. I think you're the man. (laughs) I'm about it. Uh, You made a lot of great points with that one. Uh, Yeah, I, I... I think a lot of the hate that he gets is completely unjust. I think he's carried the show so many times. I thought that his run as Intercontinental Champion was some of the most entertaining uh, moments of Raw in the last year. I, I, I think that he's done a fantastic job. I think that his reign as Universal Champion would be great. If they treated it like his run with Intercontinental Championship, I think, and I think it's hard for that. And here's what I'll say about this: I think any with any world champion, they book them differently because if you notice, his work rate has taken a little bit of a dive since since then too. Yeah, yeah. And I think they make these guys save their spots for pay per views because when you're world champion, they're you're expected to be at more shows and at more appearances than not. And coming from a guy who probably knows that since he was world champion and he blew out his knee because he was out there working like a fucking uh, madman. He probably understands what the value of playing it safe is. So while yes, I do miss that, like that fight, like those Monday Night Rawls where he was going out there putting on bangers every Monday, they they do put kind of a muzzle on on the guys when they are at the top. I well, I don't, and I don't even mean it with that necessarily. I just think he was a little they 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 booked his character in much more intense and purposeful way. Uh, and I and I'll say I think that uh, my favorite moment of uh, Rollins actually was. Um, during his feud with Triple H. And it's a moment that I think they never fully capitalized on. They never really captured it again. Uh, but it was great was that when he interrupted TakeOver. Oh, yeah. I'm, if I'm taking this bitch over. That oh, was yeah. so I love that. And like I said, and to cap it off, like I said, Seth, if, like I said, Seth showed you how, good, how great he was this past SummerSlam. He walked into the fucking trenches, and those people were openly booing him as he walked in. And what were you all doing at the end of that match? 
screaming this was awesome. And that's yeah. that's a lot of testament to Brock Lesnar, too, as much shit as he gets. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can say what you want about his part-time schedule, but when Brock gives a damn and he wants to put a guy over, he fucking does it. Yeah, and you guys want to cheer people like Adam Cole and, like, all these guys for being, you know, Mr. Ring of Honor and Mr. New Japan. You know what Seth Rollins was in 2005? Ring, Mr. Ring, Ring of, of Honor. Honor. <laughs> so... So, yeah, yeah uh, real quick, just before we end here, I do want to give some honorable mentions real quick. I'm going to just fire them off real quick. Uh, these were people who I think, they're, they're in my top, and I, and I do love them, and I always love them, but they didn't quite make the top three. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk about Asuka, um, DDP, Booker T, uh, Rhea Ripley, um, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Those are some of my honorable mentions. I'm going to throw a shout-out to The Miz. He was the one I really want to get to, and maybe I will go into my love of The Miz one day. But I will say this. The reason we have never really needed to heal John Cena <laughs> is we've always had him in The Miz. Uh, yeah. But and, but on top of that, I think another one, Booker T is another rider die. Like a shout-out to the uh, Reality of Wrestling podcast. I love Booker T. We want that gold, sucker. Uh, WCW, and- <laughs> WCW Booker T is one of the greatest like singles underdog runs ever. Oh, absolutely. And if we have to cap it off, I do definitely want to give a shout out to somebody in the women's division, and that's going to be Naomi. I love Naomi. Definitely by far one of the best athletes and a very underrated worker. Uh, I miss you. I cannot wait to see she till she comes back to the uh, main roster or wherever she's doing. But she's. Definitely very, very, very a huge part of that women's uh, division. And I think that she's I, I think she's great. Well, on that note, you just drew a line in the sand because I can't stand her. Oh. So, uh, yeah, we're going to end it there. Uh, so, yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening to the Hot Tag Wrestling Podcast. Uh, we had a lot of fun here today. And as usual, if you want to check us out at HTW Pod on both Instagram and Twitter, uh, take part in some of the discussions with us. We post polls, discussion topics. Take part in it. Uh, argue with us. If you hear something on the podcast you don't like, let us know. Uh, we'll call you out in the next show and tell you why you're wrong. Uh, but again, thank you. I am Brian Dusky. I am the fantastic Nikki Fontaine. And we will see you guys around. Goodbye.